0: welcome to a new edition of the neon jazz interview series with jazz composer bass clarinetist and band leader griffin woodard he opened up about his new album with the griffin woodard group released in 2022 called completion Griffin believes in the transformative power of music. He has dedicated years of study to acquiring an in-depth understanding of the rich historical lineage of jazz clarinetists. In 2022, he was awarded the ASCAP Foundation Herb Alpert Young Jazz Composer Award for his piece, Kyrie. He is the band leader of this group that serves as a close-knit band of musicians dedicated to deeply connecting with audiences through individual and collaborative artistic expression. He's got great insights Great stories. Enjoy the interview. Griffin, hey,
1: thanks, man, for taking a minute out today. I look forward to talking about the album and your life and music.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, before we get into your life and we get into the new album, I want to know first and foremost, we just went through this COVID period, which was really hard on all musicians. And I'm curious how you survived that time period, and how it's changed the way that you approach things now that we're kind of coming out of it and getting back into live music?
2: Thank you very much. That's a great question. So COVID happened as I was uh, just graduating from Oberlin Conservatory, where uh, I met uh, most of all the band members that are featured on the album. Most of us come from the Oberlin uh, Jazz Department. Educated by such greats like uh, Gary Bartz, Billy Hart, um, Jay Ashby, you know, Dan Wall. These were all our teachers. So COVID hit and we were basically like ejected from the campus, sent home. And we had to graduate from our houses. And all the senior recitals were canceled. All the album plans were canceled. Everything was done with. And then I went to grad school at New England Conservatory during the height of the pandemic, and it was a very isolating time, but I uh, found, I got through it by sitting down and practicing and composing. I composed most of all the music on this album uh, during the pandemic, and that really brought me, like, peace. That's part of what the album is about. Really, music brought me through
1: all of that, yeah, I think that's the that that's the general thread that I think that's gone through the community is the music itself was the healer, and that's an interesting, fascinating time i was i mean it, it, all of it is but now that we look back on it, it's fascinating because I've been always curious about younger players how they made it through it because you know some of your veteran players had you know years and years behind them savings and things it wasn't ideal but at least they had something to fall back on. And I've always been curious about the younger generations. But what I find more fascinating now when I talk to older players is they say that the amount of young players that are in jazz has never been stronger. And I would have thought the opposite would be happening, that maybe because there wasn't anything going on, people had to jump ship and get another profession. But it seems as though, like with with what you said, you stuck with it. Here you are in the afterglow. you got an album coming out and you really went through something that probably made you stronger.
2: You know, of course it was a very disheartening time in a lot of ways. But I remember in the beginning of it when I was on a Zoom lesson with I call him the Maestro, Maestro Gary Barth. And he was saying, you know, there's a lot of downsides to this, but one upside is that we finally have I finally have time to practice. You know, he's a world renowned musician, always traveling so this allowed him to finally practice, at, you know, get back in the woodshed. And I would say the same for me. Like it's opened up a lot of time to dive in and really figure figure out what to play, you know.
1: For sure. And with this album, you know, kind of the backdrop with COVID and completion is a very apropos name. You know, we're we're starting a new year. Things are opening up more. Hopefully, you know, spring is around the corner. This has to feel good to have this out during this new year with the prospects ahead this year.
2: Yeah, it feels wonderful. I'm really happy to announce that we already have our next couple of things lined up. We just uh went back into the studio to record mostly some standards, and we're planning to record a live album at the Deerhead Inn on April 2nd. And, uh, this is a reduced, a smaller group, just a quartet, uh, with our pianist Cameron Campbell, who is, uh, currently going to MSM, Manhattan School of Music, and we're very happy to meet him and get things going. And now I'm working also on the second batch of new original music. So there's gonna be some, some more output this year.
1: You know, it's always interesting every time I talk about a new project coming out, the way the musician works and the way things kind of get, you know, promoted and worked, The musician's already moving on to the next thing, which I find very interesting. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, so let's talk a little bit about where all of this began for you. Where did your jazz journey, music journey begin? How did those seeds get planted in you, kind of where you were born and raised and how it all began for you?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking. That's such a thoughtful question. I was born in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. A very, you know, kind of small place. But I, uh, kind of was listening to music before I was even born because my mother read this study called the Mozart Effect, which said if you play music for your children while they're in the womb, It will help their brains develop, uh, for other subjects, you know, math, reading. She wasn't intending for me to become a musician. But it turns out both my sister and I became musicians. So, and she also put us in, she put me in, um, kinder keys, you know, learning piano as a very young child. And then when it came time for me to choose an instrument in school, you know, she knew she wanted me to play an instrument. So that I would get these benefits, neurological benefits of playing music. So she said, you know, you got to choose an instrument. And I said, uh, I'll play whatever Squidward plays. You know, Squidward from SpongeBob yeah. SquarePants. Yeah. Pretty uh, ridiculous inspiration, but he turned out to play clarinet. So, uh, I, uh but the school said he cannot play clarinet yet because his He's not old enough. His hands aren't developed. Um, So I chose cello in the school. Then my mom found me a private uh, clarinet teacher, Lonnie Pereira, outside of school. So I was doing both at the same time cello and clarinet. And then, um, you know, I played both eventually in the school band and orchestra as a youngin'. But then really where I became, uh, fell in love with music was a wonderful, magical place called the Lehigh Valley Charter High School for the Arts. That's where I went for high school. And uh, I was playing guitar by that time. I was very interested in rock, nirvana, Kurt Cobain, all of this. I loved Alice in Chains. But to get into the school, I needed to prepare a jazz piece. I never even heard jazz music before. Can you still hear me?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I,
2: I never even heard jazz music before, but uh, I prepared West Coast Blues by the great Wes Montgomery. I had a great guitar teacher at the time, Mr. Demarest at Socket Valley Music School, and he uh, helped me repair this. And then when I got into the school... You know, some of the teachers were professional jazz musicians such as Greg Eicher, uh Michael Lorenz, Frank DiBusolo. So Greg Eicher had worked with Dizzy Gillespie and was very, uh you know, well-traveled bassist. And within the first week, I was hearing John Coltrane, and that changed my life. I was like, I need to go back to a wind instrument to get that singing quality. So that's why I restarted the clarinet. I relearned it and uh, later switched to bass clarinet. But that school is really what introduced me um, to the great legacy of this music. And, you know, I heard Delonious Monk, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Billy Holiday, everyone there for the first time. they really... Change my whole path.
1: You know the interesting thing about the clarinet is, is a lot of the baptisms that many people got into with jazz came from Benny. And I, I remember talking to a to a veteran clarinetist one time, and I was like, "What is for a layperson that doesn't understand the instrument? What's the most?" What's one of the most common misperceptions or what's one of the beauties of the instrument? And I remember he said, as beautiful as this instrument can be, you can hit one wrong note and wreck the whole thing in one second. Wait, who said that? I can't remember who said it. It's going to come to me. But it was a veteran player, and he's a really big player in New York, and it's going to come to me. and, And I just can't remember. But anyways, I remember he said that, and I never forgot it. He must have told me that like seven or eight years ago. And every time I hear the word clarinet, I think about that.
2: Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is a, indeed a very unforgiving instrument. Maybe only sure. beat by the double reeds, bassoon and yeah. oboe. I think they are more difficult, but the clarinet, uh, it's very difficult because it has a cylindrical bore instead of a conical bore. So, saxophone has a outward cone shape. So whatever you put into it, it gives you more, like it amplifies you. But the clarinet, I feel, if you don't have everything perfectly right, it takes away from you. The cylindrical bore is unforgiving. And uh, so the good thing is is that it prepares you very well. as you said, many um, of the greatest saxophonists started out... On that.
1: And I'm curious, with you, you know, one of the best early impressions we can get is seeing a live show. What was the first live jazz show you saw that really blew you away?
2: My mother's a New Yorker, so we went there a lot when I started getting deeper into the music. And she came with me and now has become a great fan also and has wonderful ears for the music. But she, um, we went to the Mingus Big Band at the Jazz Standards many times. But then what really shook my, and that was amazing, um, getting acquainted with Mingus's music. But what really shook my world was going to see Wilhelm Delesfort at Smalls. I went to Smalls for the first time. And um it was Willem Delisfort with Chanel John on uh vocals and Philip Dizak on trumpet, Godwin Louis on alto Saxophone, and uh Jonathan Michel on bass. And I can't remember who was playing drums, but that that was like a transformative night. He really we were all yelling and, like, shouting with, he really lit up the room with his, he has great music. Aaron for ford
1: Real quick, the person I was thinking about was the great Ken Peplowski.
2: Oh, yes, yes.
1: It. So, I'm curious, you know, you're, you're in the music scene, you're recording, you're playing, you're doing all these things. What is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? What motivates you every day to get up to do what you do?
2: Well, I would say probably when I'm playing on stage, I really get into it. It takes me a couple songs to fully warm up with the audience. But then at a certain point, you get into this flow state usually where it feels like all of the guards have been dropped and you can really, anything you play, will be okay like it's there's no boundaries, and you're just in a full mode of expression and it's probably it's one of the greatest feelings in the world, so I would say that is one of the main things that makes it worthwhile I mean because sometimes you show up to a gig and there's very few people, and sometimes the pay is offensively low. But this experience
1: is better than any other profession. So it's like, it's worth it. What would be a dream show for you to see if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see anybody? Who would you love to see live?
2: Well, I would need to see John Coltrane at any era. But I'd love to see, um, I would have loved to see him with Eric Dolphy at the Village Vanguard. And I would have also loved to see him in the later years, like maybe at his concert in Japan, I would have loved to be there.
1: Why do you love jazz?
2: I love it because I believe that um, the human, like spirit, has an infinity of things to express. Because the human spirit is part of infinity. So this music allows and encourages you or the musician. It encourages the musician to reach for those things and express it to its fullest degree. And if you don't, then you're not accomplishing the full, like, goal of the music. The goal is to dive as deep as possible and express it. Because, like, I feel that our job as artists of any sort is to deal with those things, the the unseen things of life, so that we can remind people that they still have those things. They have feelings. They have dreams. And it's not just their nine-to-fives that they should be concerned with. So I think that uh this music... The great black American music has the, um that's like part of it. That's what I love about it.
1: So everyone out there has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
2: I think that uh that's a very good question. In my own words, I would think of myself ideally... As a uh, like, as a praise musician, like for me, I'm I'm trying to describe um, spiritual things, I'm trying to describe God and positive things, so I can uplift people. And even if I don't say anything about that, that's what I want all the music to do. So I would say that uh, I I think of myself primarily as that. I I also think um, a term that uh, I learned from, also learned from maestro Gary Bartz, is that uh, as musicians, we're kind of musical scientists as well. We spend time in the lab, in the practice room, working on things and experimenting to find like the most harmonious ideas that can reach people and convey uh, everything, the wonder of the universe. So I would say that's also who I am.
1: That, that was a wonderful answer. Very insightful, wonderful answer. This has been great, man. Thank you for, for opening up and, and talking about the album and your life and music. Good luck with this release and the new year ahead. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. I'm uh, very honored by the opportunity. And I wish all the best to you in the new year with your station.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview. We'll give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Griffin for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or Spotify. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, Go to the neonjazz.blockspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.